Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I am the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Lord, have mercy on our people and country. Let the youth be brought up in the discipline and in a right knowledge of you, so that they may recognize your law and the way of your salvation. Give constancy and loyalty to all pious teachers. Amen. Well, welcome, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you again here at the Christian Classical Corner. I am Margaret Douglas from Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican, and it's wonderful to have the chance to talk to you again this week about the discipling of our children through Christian classical education. And the prayer I just prayed comes from our friends at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and I thought it really appropriate since many Christian schools are going back this week or next week. And uh, many schools in many parts of the world just went back this week. So let's make sure that we are keeping them all in our prayers. Now, last week in this corner, we had a fantastic chat with our deacon at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church, Deacon Erin Giles. She talked to us about how she was creating a God-centered environment for her children, relying on Holy Scripture and the holy tradition of our fathers and mothers of the faith throughout the ages, and creating a truly green pasture, which nourishes the sheep, not just the little sheep. Abiding in the scriptures and learning from the saints helps to nourish us all and help those of us to teach to remain God-centered, enabling us to build up God-centered children and youth. And this process is so critical, friends, because the pastures outside the church, they're pretty burned up. I mean, they're as scorched as the hills in South Lake Tahoe. They're dark and dirty and dingy, and they do not feed our children. In fact, too often, under the guise of feeding our children, they're malnourishing them. Because the world's pastures do not have what our children need. And it would be great, wouldn't it? If we could just say, oh, well, we'll keep them out of those nasty pastures. We'll just keep them safe in our pastures. And as the 23rd Psalm says, they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, friends. I wish it did. But these are the waters we swim in, brothers and sisters. We swim in the waters of modernity. They're all around us, and they are dark and dank, and we are not going to be able to hide our children from them. We're living in an age where the values and communities that surround us are are not just opposed to our faith. No, many of the saints across the ages have had that. But right now we're living in these postmodern times where the dark pastures have taken on a lot of the ideas of Christianity, good ideas like equality, honoring of persons, human dignity, and they twist them for their own purposes, leaving our children in chaos and confusion. I know that sounds hopeless, but of course nothing is hopeless in the Lord. The one thing we can do to help our children through these very dark waters that we're all swimming in is to hand them the life preserver, Jesus. We can give them the buoyance that only the Holy Spirit can provide, and while it's impossible to keep them away from the dark pastures of this world, 
we can turn them over to the true Good Shepherd himself. We can teach them to put on the full armor of God, as St. Paul describes for us in Ephesians 6, and we can have them ready to stand firm in the faith. (laughs) But that is not a quick or an easy task, dear friends. What I'm talking about is a lifetime's work. We have to understand that the society's narrative, the words being whispered in our children's ears on all sides, are often hurtful to our children's hearts. Combating it is a daily task, and it will not be easy if we are not absolutely committed to, number one, keeping our own hearts and minds in the love and knowledge of God, and sharing God's love, God's joy, and God's grace with our children on a daily basis. And number two, being committed to training our children to resist what is false. So today I want to talk about and explore some more these ideas of just how we raise our children to be saints and martyrs, people who are committed to Christ, never shirking, even in the face of the worst enemy, and people who are examples of that faith, salt and light, as our Lord said in Matthew 5, who can then help bring others into the pasture too. Well, first things first, how do we commit ourselves to that? Because I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, children can smell hypocrisy. They can sense it a mile away. They know a phony when they see one. And they don't want to imitate a phony. As Deacon Aaron mentioned last week, kids are looking for heroes. Yes, they're going to grow and look for heroes in all sorts of places. Trust me, they're going to find them, whether they're heroes worth emulating or not. But the first hero that any child has is a parent. And the second one, in all probability, is going to be a teacher. So how do we, as parents and teachers of Christian children, be the models, the heroes that they want and need? (laughs) And hey, I get it. That sounds really daunting, doesn't it? I mean, us? Heroes? (laughs) I don't know about you, friends, but most days, I feel all too much like I'm barely getting by. How on earth can I possibly be a hero? Well, thankfully, I don't have to, and neither do you, because Jesus has already been the ultimate hero in all of our lives. Our jobs are just to follow him and reflect his light. Follow and reflect. That sounds nice and comforting, right? (laughs) It's not quite as simple as it sounds, because following Jesus takes some training. It's not like following a rock band or a Twitter feed. It takes commitment. And if we're going to walk in his ways to the glory of his name, there's some stuff we've got to get into the habit of doing and doing regularly, like Deacon Aaron was talking about last week. Number one, read scripture daily. (laughs) I heard one preacher not too long ago say that if you're not reading your Bible, you're going to have no idea if God is trying to speak to you because you're going to have no idea how God thinks if you're, const- if you're not constantly diving into his word. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, if we're supposed to be imitators of Christ, as St. Paul mentioned several times, we'd better be imitating the right stuff. And think about this. When St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that the church was to be imitators of him as he was an imitator of Christ— Isn't that exactly the shepherd relationship that we were talking about last week? And isn't that exactly what we want our children to be doing 
imitating the ones who are imitating Christ. Friends, the first place they're going to look to is to us, their parents, their teachers. They're going to want to imitate us no matter what we do. (laughs) We've been there, right? You look in the mirror, suddenly one of your parents' expressions looks back at you. I don't know about you, suddenly I hear my mother or my father come out of my mouth and I say, now where did that come from? (laughs) If we all have imitated our parents without even realizing it. And our kids are going to be imitators of us. So when we look in the mirror, we better be imitating Christ. And the first thing we've got to do to be imitators of Christ, we've got to be diving into the Word. Now, there's some great ways of doing this on a daily basis. I've mentioned before, the Anglican Church gives some wonderful tools for staying in the Word of God on a daily basis. I think both Deacon Aaron and I have mentioned what we've called the daily office. Why do we call it the daily office? Well, that term comes from offering, another name for a liturgy or a rite. It's a service written in a certain rhythm that pulls together scripture and prayer and praise in a particular format that's conducive to worship. The format goes back in the church for centuries, so using this sort of service as an individual or as a family helps not only keep you connected to scripture, but to the church throughout the ages and the church throughout the world. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but there's about 50 million Anglicans across the globe, and we've been using these sorts of liturgies since the Reformation, and they're based on the services of the ancient church. That's a powerful thing to think about. There's a lot of communion that comes from doing these sorts of set offices. Now, as far as the scripture readings in the daily office go, we Anglicans have what we call a lectionary or a set schedule of readings for every day of the year. And if you're faithful to it, it takes you through most of the Bible in the course of the year, and in fact, takes you through the New Testament a couple of times a year, and the entire book of Psalms every one to two months, depending on how you use it. So there's a lot of scripture in this discipline. And if you are reading it with your children and talk about it with them, you're going to find that slowly but surely, they are going to be inculcated with the whole narrative of scripture. Not just the popular Bible stories or the veggie tales. I don't know, are veggie tales even still a thing? Do they even still do veggie tales? They did when my kids were small. And back in the day, veggie tales were great, but they didn't really teach the whole narrative arc of scripture. Reading the Bible does. And friends in Christ, that's what we've got to do. The other wonderful discipline of the daily office is that it has us set our watches around the worship of God, not the chaos of the modern world. It's a brilliant way to remember that while we may think ourselves rather clever for having invented clocks and calendars, our time is in God's hands, and He's in charge of it. I got really interested in getting back to the beauty of ordering life around prayer after living in the Middle East for 10 years. Do you know where the Muslims got the idea for a call to prayer to the community at various times of day? Yeah, from the Christians at the time. That's what we used to do. Because stopping what we do to recenter ourselves in the presence of God works. And with that, we can come to real places of joy in following him. And that's something that our children will want to emulate. 
And we've got to show our children that we're part of the larger family of the church. We've got to surround them with people who believe. This is why the mission of Christian schools is so important. <laughs> but we can't just have what one Christian school headmistress I know calls Deweyite schools with crosses on the walls. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, John Dewey was the great architect of modern American education. He's one of the people primarily responsible for turning our schools from centers of education, education, a word that comes from the Latin educare, to lead out, to lead out of our own darkness and ignorance into the ways of knowledge and wisdom and truth. He changed them into what schools became today, which is to teach people enough to follow the prevailing culture and make them mindless consumers. Now, to be fair, I don't think our modern schools were really what Dewey envisioned, but it's where his theories took us. He's really responsible for what we call progressive education. Now, what is progressive education and why should we be quite wary of it? Well, it can be a little tricky to define, but at its core, progressive education is the education that came about from the philosophical ideals that we, man, are pure individuals with no inherent relationships that can or should get in the way of what we want. We can conquer nature to suit our desires. Basically, we can change nature to suit us any way we want, if we just work hard enough. Now think back to what we said was the purpose of a liberal education. To be liberated or freed from our own insatiable, tyrannical desires. Progressive theories, on the other hand, encourage people to give in to and celebrate their own insatiable, tyrannical desires. And basically, to achieve that, we've been inculcated in a lot of ideas that we're told are self-evident, but really aren't. We're told to believe as a society that choice is good and authority is bad. No one should have the right to tell anyone else what to do or think. And sin isn't personal, if it's even a thing at all. But Canadian Christian philosopher Charles Taylor found these ideas to be not only not self-evident, but quite ridiculous. As he put it, to have any kind of livable society, some choices have to be restricted, some authorities have to be respected, and some individual responsibility has to be assumed. He's absolutely right. I mean, this progressive ideal is the exact opposite of what we're called to believe and how we're called to act as Christians. We are called to communion with God and community with our neighbor. We don't believe that we are unattached and radically individual. We believe that there is such a thing as harmful choices, right authority, a proper and godly way to think about things, and that sin is not only a thing, but it's quite personal, our own personal rebellion against our Creator. Thank God for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, without which we'd all be lost. But you see, this modern culture is tricky. <laughs> see, from the, our school days, dear friends in Christ, this culture has taught us that we're in this sort of subtraction story, as Taylor puts it. We're often told that the science and technology just replaced God and left behind secular culture. And so our culture, modern culture, is now objective and rational and good. And that's why it's valuable. 
But in fact, the progressive story arc is a completely different one. I mean, having no values of its own, it just stole some of the moral values of Christianity. I mean, really, if we're all just the product of some random combination of cells coming out of the ooze with no deemed purpose, why on earth should we have morals or values at all? Pastor Timothy Keller noted that the framework that Christianity brought was quite different from those of the ancients who were the first cultures to try and devise morals from pure reason. Christian morals conform to a biblical worldview and thus have much more care for each other as befits a people who weren't just called to appease gods, but love God and take care of each other in communion. But progressives took many of these same ideas and irrationally stripped them of any of their moorings. As Keller puts it, none of these ideas, the goodness of the material, the progress of history, the dignity of individuals, the significance of choices, the value of emotions, make any sense in an impersonal universe. Though none of these basically Christian moral ideas rationally follows from an impersonal universe, late modernity has inherited them, intensified and absolutized them, and cut them completely loose from any transcendent grounding whatsoever. It created a moral value matrix out of the fruit of Christian ideas and severed the root. And this, brothers and sisters, is the water in which we all swim in this culture. We're faced with this faux moral system that has no root as the prevailing of ideas of our culture. It mimics Christianity, like all good heresies, but just enough to be convincing and just enough to leave an untrained mind and heart in doubt. Friends in Christ, we cannot allow our children to be those untrained minds and hearts. This is why creating places of nurturing pasture for them, as Deacon Aaron spoke about last week, is so absolutely critical. Our children need to know the true God, the true ark of salvation, and understand the illogic of those ideas and narratives of modernity well enough to stand firmly against them with the grace and the gentleness that the Spirit provides. This training of the people to resist false narratives and false gods is hardly a new idea. One of the passages of Scripture that Aaron and I had wanted to discuss last week, but we ran out of time, it comes from the beginning of Deuteronomy 4. Let's talk about that now. Here's Moses at the beginning of the chapter. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So God tells his people from the beginning that following his statutes and rules is what is going to build the people up in order to come into the good things that God has for them. And this is still true for us as a resurrection people. We need to be, as St. James said, doers of the word and not just hearers. And we need to put it deep into our children's hearts, that that desire to follow the Lord's rules and statutes. Moses continues in verse 2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. 
but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Clearly, this living as a people of God amongst people with ideas very contrary to God's ways is nothing new. But again, even as a people now saved by grace, the living out of this grace is holding fast to the Lord. And we need to understand and to help our children to understand that walking away from the ways of the Lord is the way of destruction. Or as St. Paul put it in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 5, Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And you know they do that even today, brothers and sisters. I know sometimes it feels like we as Christians are just ridiculed and mocked by today's culture. But what were we just talking about? I mean, this culture actually tries to mimic Christianity by stealing our ideas of good, even in a worldview that has no logical reason to have anything good. Even those who try and turn their back on the Lord, like the demons, they know that he's truth. And I love verse 7, and I think it really gets to the heart of what we were created for. Listen to what Moses says here. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? (laughs) And the answer is still today, none. All the so-called modern ideas of justice, they're just taken from Christianity. And even when they're perverted for the world's own purposes, they took these ideas from us because their own worldviews have no justice. You can't get justice from an impersonal universe. So what do we do about this? Well, Moses continues in verse 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And this, friends in Christ, is the crux of the matter. We know the good news. We know the ways that he wants us to walk and we must teach them to our children and our children's children and all the children that we can reach because we know that the ideas of modernity are telling them unfounded, ungrounded lies. This is why Jesus the Good Shepherd is so dedicated to the Good Shepherd School Project. We know that if we aren't providing pastures for our children, rich, nourishing pastures like Deacon Aaron read to us from Ezekiel 34, we are not living out our call in Christ. We're not taking care of his children, and we must We must train them in self-discipline and wisdom and discernment so that they can be part of the community to live out the great commandment that our Lord gave us. And we truly believe in feeding our young sheep in ways and methods that give them a true picture of the world that they live in, not the sham picture that the modern progressive world tries to provide. This is why we teach classically, because in the words of the prophet Moses, we want to take care 
and keep ours and our children's souls diligently, never forgetting what we've seen in the good news, but making them known to our children in all things. Moses was so adamant on that point that he says it again in verse 10. He says, you know, fear me all the days they live on the earth that they may teach their children so. Teach the children. And that's what we're doing with the Good Shepherd School Project. We're gathering the people and the children to the Lord, teaching the children, letting them hear the Lord's words. We're ministering to parents of new, who are new to homeschooling and perhaps with conflicts that make homeschooling difficult with our partnering program. And we're enriching the lives of our parish and community with our atrium program. By the way, our Michaelmas term, our atrium program, opens on Monday. I do ask for your prayers for us as we go forward. And if you know families who are desperate to get their children out of the public schools, may have difficult homeschooling, please, please let them know that we're out here. We're ready to partner with them and provide foundational education for their children, helping them to build up their children's hearts and minds. And if you know of homeschooled children who are looking for a program, helping to give children more training in the ways of the Lord, as well as intellectual enrichment, please let them know about our atrium classes. You can find more information on our programs at our website, goodshepherdhenderson.info. And to support our ministry, find our parish at vegasanglican.org. We stand ready to be a place of pasture. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian classical education.